Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. How will they remember me? Nicole Norderman has a song called I Want to Leave a Legacy. Um, I want to leave a legacy. How will they remember me? Did I choose to love? Did I point to you enough? To make a mark on things, I want to leave an offering, a child of mercy and grace who blessed your name unapologetically and leave that kind of legacy. Have you already written your obituary? Should you? I'm thinking I might. Um, Death comes and... Some of you have already uh, shared with me on the text line that reading the obituaries, particularly on Sunday when you get the paper, um, is a practice and a rhythm. And you have noted some very sad obituaries over time um, and some that led you to consider people of faith and the things of the faith and how you want to be remembered. So um, I don't know. It might sound morbid, but it's also just like incredibly realistic, how do you want to be remembered? What kind of legacy are you creating today that if you died tomorrow, it'd be the thing we'd be talking about? Because death comes. Death comes. So this morning as I was preparing for the show, I learned that um, singer and songwriter Toby Keith, 62 years old, um, has died following a uh, little more than two-year battle with stomach cancer. You may say, gosh, you know, the last time I saw Toby Keith, you know, he was the he was literally the picture of life. But in recent um, appearances, there's no doubt that you would look at him and say that that is a man walking toward death. Death um, and even the approach of death gives us the opportunity to talk about life, to talk about heaven, to talk about God, to talk about Jesus. And so I don't want us to miss the opportunity. There may be somebody who literally you can't wait until tomorrow to talk with them about life and death. So let me ask you this today, following the death of Toby Keith, what matters today about Toby Keith? I mean, does it, does it matter that he sold tens of millions of records? Does it matter that people all around the world, you know, fawned over him? Does any of that matter today? Or does it matter today whether or not he was a Christ follower? Toby Keith um, was a professing Christian. And so I want to change that sentence. Toby Keith, because he was a professing Christian, there is no was in, in the sentence about his life. Because he was a Christian in this life, he is alive today. That, it's that simple. What matters today about Toby Keith was how he responded to the reality of Jesus. That's it. Same thing true about you and me. Doesn't matter how many people um, ever, <laughs> ever listen to us, ever talk to us, 
ever even know us by name. If Jesus calls us by name and we respond to him as his disciple, that's really all that matters. Ultimately, that's all that matters. So in an interview just this past September, September 2023, I mean, that's just four months ago, right? And he was asked how he was doing. Um, The pictures from that day answer the question themselves. You can see how he's doing. But here's what he said. I'm leaning on my faith. I just pray. I lean into it. Look, you got to do what you got to do. And I don't know how people do this without faith. So that's what I did. I leaned on my faith and prayed and leaned into it. It was my rock. He's standing on that rock today. He's standing with the one who was his rock and his salvation. So what's your rock today? Maybe you're not faced with a cancer diagnosis, but let me just go ahead and tell you, in case nobody ever has, like everybody's going to die. Death comes. You may have a good idea today about what's going to kill you, or you may have no idea at all, but know this, like death comes. Nobody escapes it. There is eternal life, life eternal on the other side of that death doorway. And when the door swings shut on this life, it does open to an eternal life beyond. The question is, you know, in which direction that door opens. And I want that door to open to the fullness of the life that God desires for you in heaven with himself forever and ever. So would you like to know with absolute certainty, would you like to know with absolute certainty that when you open your eyes on the other side of the door of death, you will be in the presence of the living God, welcoming you home into the Father's house in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. Because if you want to know that with certainty, you can. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is calling you right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is calling you right now. Come home. Come home. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Come home. Come to me. Come with me. Come home. My friend, in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Don't walk in the valley any longer by your poor, lonesome, fearful self. Jesus is the good, good shepherd, and he's calling you right now to come home. Do you hear him? If so, I want to invite you to pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know life is short. And only you know how many days I have left in this life. I know I need you. Forgive me for avoiding you for so long. Let today be the day of my salvation. I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I know you are the Savior of the world, but today, Jesus, today, save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead for my resurrection. I believe you are the way and the truth and the life. And I want to follow you all the way home to the Father's house. I want to trust and follow you as my Savior and Lord. Jesus, take my life and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.
if you prayed that um, with me for the very first time, we at Faith Radio would love to follow up with you because there is an amazing journey ahead for you as our brother and sister in Christ and as a child um, of the King of Kings. So could you, um, would you text me and let me know if you prayed that prayer with us for the very first time today? 877-933-2484. There's a journey of discipleship ahead and we want to walk with you in it. Gabrielle McCullough is going to join us next, and we're going to talk about um, a little bit of the generational transfer of faith. Every generation has to um, be awakened to the reality of who God is. Like, it's it's obvious that there is a God, but to know his character and his ways, that requires us sharing it generation to generation. And so we're going to talk about the viewpoint of Christians who are in Gen Z up next with Gabrielle McCullough. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Gabrielle McCullough is joining us. You're going to want to connect with her at GabrielleMcCullough.com. Um, Gabrielle, mm-hmm. welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's it's an honor to be with you all. All right. Your lead is that you're an evangelist. And so I think I want to pause right there and let you define mm-hmm. that. Um, who are you? Um, to whom has God sent you as an evangelist? Mm, yeah. I think really clearly there there's a call on each one of our lives as believers to go therefore and make disciples, right? That is the thing that Jesus has called us to. If we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, then the outpour is of that is is just an urgency on every one of our lives to go and tell of the good news of him. And and really clearly, I would say in high school, when I was 17 years old, I remember um, the Lord just specifically uh, convicting me of, hey, if you actually believe this thing is true, that I actually died and resurrected from the grave and I'm coming back soon, then you got to give the rest of your life uh, to telling people about it. And so, yeah, I would say I, I'm an evangelist. I want to tell people about Jesus. Uh, I'd also say I'm a Bible teacher. I'm passionate about teaching God's word and and really simply um, just love Jesus and want to tell um, my peers, my generation and and the world about him. What would happen um, in the culture if the church wanted us more than, mm. let's say, social media wanted us or pornography wanted us or mm. um, other people who want us, a political party wanted us? What if the church wanted us um, yeah. more yeah. than all of those? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I just, I totally, I believe that there are a lot of voices that are vying for the next generation's attention and um and the world is flashy like the the this next generation in their flesh like in each one of us like we want the world we want the things that the world has to offer we're uh, searching for meaning and purpose and significance and and those things are of course only found in Jesus i think of psalm 16:11 which says that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore and so for a generation that is looking for meaning and significance and purpose like it is it's only found in Jesus and and they can find that through um, through the church if we were to fight for the next generation. And so I think what it what it specifically looks like for the church to want the next generation is simply just uh, to to say yes to discipling them. Like for every 
older person, every mom, every dad uh, that loves Jesus to just commit. I'm going to disciple uh, my children. I'm going to I'm going to find a middle school or a high schooler and, and help teach them uh, the, the things of Jesus. Second Timothy uh, two two just calls us to be faithful, to uh, entrust which, what we have heard about God uh, to other men, other people so that they can teach others also. And there's just this pattern that we see in the scriptures of discipleship, that that is the way the whole world is going to be reached uh, by simply choosing uh, to faithfully disciple others and, and teach them the things about Jesus, teach them uh, God's word. And so, yeah, I think that's what, what it looks like for the church to want the next generation is, is to simply choose uh, one person and say, hey, I'm going to, I want to help you follow Jesus as I follow Jesus. I want to uh, help you learn what it looks like to confess sin. I want to teach you what it looks like to study the scriptures and truly find that there is life found in Jesus and him alone. Gabrielle, I'm wondering, um, I'm just going to ask you a couple of like direct questions so that you can yeah. help us get to know that middle schooler or that high schooler, because we might be a little bit of intimidated thinking that there's an awfully mm. big gap between mm. me and them. What is something that maybe I believe or some way that I think as a 55-year-old Christian that a kid in high school or even middle school, like they don't believe or it's not the way they think? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a few things um, generationally that are different, but I'd say one is, um, is you know, I think an older generation uh, was maybe more tempted to go to church on Sundays uh, for the sake of, of like just going, like it looks good for business or it looks good for my family or my politics. Like I've, I've just, you go to church on Sunday cause that's a more normal thing to do. And, um, the, this next generation, like Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're not, they're not concerned with that. They don't, uh, they don't view church as this thing, uh, that to, you know, to just go to or, or to go through the motions. I think they, um, yeah, they're, they're just not tempted by that same reality. And so I think they need to see, uh, they need to see that, hey, there's actually life change that happens, uh, not just by going to church on Sunday. Of course, that, that's part of it as we gather with other believers, but there's life change that happens uh, by simply following the person of Jesus, opening up God's word um, and really seeing the, the purpose in it. Um, that is not just this, you know, this thing to check off a box, uh, but the, it's actually where life is found. And then I'd say another thing is um, this next generation, like they, uh, you know, are, are prone to believe that that truth is relative uh, and 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 don't adhere to a biblical worldview that there is an absolute truth that is only found in Jesus. And so I think an older generation, uh, they, they, you know, more largely knew uh, that there was absolute truth. And this next generation, uh, they need to be convinced of that. They need to be shown um, that there is absolute truth found in the scriptures, found in uh, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And so I think that that can be a difference um, is uh, this next generation, you know, statistics say that 4% have a biblical worldview. And so that means that, you know, 96% of this next generation doesn't view God's word to be the authority for what is true. And so, you know, I, I believe that, you know, as scripture says, the truth sets us free, that, um, that God's word has been breathed out by the spirit himself. And so I think you know, the greatest tool that we have in, in evangelizing to this next generation is just opening up the scriptures and showing them where truth is found. 
That's so good. We're talking with uh, with Gabrielle McCullough. She's helping us have a a viewpoint of Gen Z Christians um, from from a viewpoint that uh, you know is not mine. She's a lot lot younger than me, um, <laughs> and so you probably hear it in her voice. I hope you also hear the way her life is saturated with the scriptures. Um, Gabrielle easily turns to the Word of God in answer to the questions I'm asking, because obviously the Word of God has been knit into her heart and mind over time. So where in the Word are you today? Give that um, give that a thought while we take a very, very brief break. More with Gabrielle McCullough up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What season of life are you in right now? Season of life. There are lots of ways to answer that question. So what season of life are you in right now? You may feel as if you are in a season of hopeful expectation or a season of desperation. You may feel as if you are in a dry season or a rainy season or maybe a season of abundance. Maybe this is a transitional season for you. What season of life are you in right now? Let me say first that you're not alone in whatever season you are in. And let me also say that God wants to meet you and be with you in that current season, even in that season of wilderness or dryness. And God wants to lead you through that current season to the next one. Discover what God is doing in your life now and where he's leading next at this year's Set Apart Conference for Women. It's March 8 and 9 at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can register today at Set Apart Conference. Dot com. That's setapartconference.com. Psalm 145.4, one generation commends your words to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Um, we all recognize that Christianity is a, um, is a faith that is, um, it's not just taught. It has to be demonstrated and lived out and shared in meaningful ways. Um, and, you know, I'm not the first person certainly to make the observation that, you know, any, any faith, any worldview is only one generation away from, um, from extinction. And so we as Christians in the world today um, have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel, and it is ours then to communicate generation to generation and so Gabrielle McCullough um, is full of that fire. Mm-hmm. She is an evangelist. She is a Bible teacher. Gabrielle, um, where where do you live and sort of what constitutes your family? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm actually from Minnesota. I grew up in, in Minnesota in the Twin Cities, uh, but I live in Waco, Texas with uh, my husband. I've been married for just a little over a year and we have a two-month-old baby boy. And so we live here and get to just be on mission um, here, which is such a gift. I love that. And you can follow um, Gabrielle on Instagram and get a little bit of a window into that. I do want to talk about the use of social media. I want to talk about things yeah. um, things like Instagram as a um, as a way into the conversation. One of the things that you, that you said um, earlier is, so, you know, Gen, Gen Z and Gen Alpha these emerging generations, um, they, they're not prone to believe that, you know, there's true truth, capital T. They believe that truth yeah. is relative, um, even that you might construct your own truth. And then you said they need to be shown. The, mm. Can you talk about the show component of all of this? Because this is a very 
like image dominated, screen dominated um, cultural moment. Talk with us about mm. showing, not just telling. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think um, I think that this next generation is really craving authenticity. And, you know, I think especially because of, you know, what we see on social media, like there's just there's so much of, you know, on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube that is just these curated fake uh, videos, clickbait that just kind of, you know, uh, grabs your attention. And there's, you know, even with like AI and all these different things, I think there's a lot that we can see um, that can be curated, that can be fake. And, um, and maybe they even saw this in their, their parents of uh, kind of going through the motions of religion and saying one thing and not really doing the other thing. And so I think they're just craving authenticity, right? They're very confused. Their identity confused about who they are, about um, what they should pursue, about, you know, why they exist on this earth. And and they need to be authentically shown what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, and I think, you know, for me and, and friends of mine, a lot of, you know, I think our faith was transformed when we saw older people kind of take us under their wing and and start to confess sin, start to show where they're not perfect, start to uh, reveal to us what it looks like to actually obey Jesus, not to just know the right things or to to have the scripture memorized, uh, but to walk in the in the way that they speak, in the way that they treat their spouses and their children, in the way that they serve in their local church, uh, that they actually are, have the real thing in Jesus and, and want to give the way give away the real thing. And so, yeah, I think authenticity is something that is so attractive to this next generation for older people to just say, "Hey, yeah, I actually uh, struggle." with lust or I struggle with people pleasing and, and I, I desperately need Jesus. Like that is so much more attractive to young people uh, than just putting on your Sunday best and going to church and acting like you have it all together uh, because they, they can see through the facade um, and, and they just, they want authenticity. You used a term earlier when you described um, you and your husband living in Waco and you talked about being on mission. Um, yeah. living on living on mission is really powerful language when we start talking about um, emerging generations. They want to be involved in the mission of God. They want to see themselves yeah. as part of something um, great and grand and world changing. That that that's really hopeful. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we just believe. Like, I mean, Acts twenty twenty four that. Um, we consider our lives worth nothing. Like our only aim is to finish the race and to, and to complete the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And you're right when you say that this next generation wants to be a part of something. Like, I, I mean, I have memories of high school of, you know, people like wanting to join different marches and, and do different protests. And that is that is our generation. Like we are a passionate uh, generation. And I am watching a, a remnant rise up that God has preserved of uh, young people that are fiercely passionate about Jesus and, and want to tell p- the whole generation about him, you know. And so as we see a large majority of the next generation that may be leaving the church in droves and may be, uh, you know, pursuing just wayward theology, there is a, a small group of people, you know, in each generation that God is faithful to rise up that are actually passionate about living on mission and uh, telling the world about him. And so, yeah, that is that is the thing that we live for. Uh, we want to consider our life as nothing, that the the only aim in our life that matters is, is following Jesus and telling others about him. 
Um, I want to touch on the mental health crisis that um, that exists in in Generation Z and now even emerging in Generation Alpha. Um, this is a this is a ministry opportunity. It's also a crisis, a cultural crisis. Mm. Could you just touch on touch on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it is it is it doesn't you know take much to look at this next generation and say that anxiety and depression has um, riddled them. And I think, of course, social media has a lot to do with that and just the constant avenue for uh, comparison and discontentment uh, that can breed some of that um, just anxiety and depression. And and so, man, I think we've got to wrap our arms around young people and love on them uh, and, and, and and again, just help them see that there is hope found in Jesus. I think at the root of the, you know, anxiety and depression, you know, kind of epidemic is a, a search, as we talked about earlier, just a search for meaning and purpose and uh, significance. And of course, those things are um, are only found in Jesus. And so, um, and we've got, you know, again, we've got to desperately tell them about about him. Um, and, and so I, I really do think that the the root of it is a um, just a, a loss of identity, and there's just so much confusion out there. Um, you know, Colossians two eight just just tells us to see to it that no one takes you captive by any philosophy or ideology according to you know the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. And I think that there are you know is a generation that is wanting to find a truth and identity in you know in manifestation and in. Uh, just horoscopes and all these things that are of this world and and not finding uh, their identity solely in Jesus. And so, um, yeah, that that's that's what I want to see happen is is older people help younger people find hope because that's what they're longing for. And it's it's found in the person of Jesus. So good. Gabrielle, um, thank you for being here with us today. I hope you'll come back. (laughs) Yes, of course. Yeah, this was awesome. It's wonderful just to begin getting to know you today. I really appreciate it. That's Gabrielle McCullough. You can find her at GabrielleMcCullough.com. You know, she's a member of a generation that is going to be much more effective in reaching emerging generations um, with the gospel. But once they're reached, then they need to be discipled. And so what does it look like for you and I um, as Christians who are a little further along on our discipleship journey than a new believer would be, um, further along in life than a young person is right now. What does it look like for us to um, share with them, share the path with them, share the walk with them, to um, to walk and talk with them about the things of the faith? Yes, to open the scriptures to them, to let them see our lives and what it looks like to authentically walk with Jesus um, all our days. So that's Gabrielle McCullough. Um, when you think about truth, would you um, would you agree with me that truth is a person? What does it look like to talk with truth? What does it look like to hear the voice of truth? If we believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and we walk with him and we talk with him, what does the voice of truth sound like? I ask you that because Mitch Album in his latest um, in his latest book, The Little Liar, he actually gives voice to truth. Truth is the narrator of um, of this extended conversation about a little boy and his brother and a girl named Fanny and the reality of the Holocaust. It's complicated, 
And yet it is some true truth. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mitch Album um, very likely needs very little introduction, uh, but depending on your sort of sphere of influence, you know him as um, as an author, but maybe you also know him as a philanthropist. Um, he has joined us on prior occasions, and he's here today to talk with us about his newest book, The Little Liar. Mitch, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. How are you doing? Good to talk to you again. Well, it's good. To, it's good to talk with you um, as well, uh, and I am well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I might say that The Little Liar is a story about truth and lies and consequences. Um, Or I might say that it's a story about human depravity and evil and the hell of war and trauma and all that follows, and yet the possibility of redemption. What would you say that The Little Liar is about? Uh, Hope, in the end. Uh, It's all the things that you just said. It it starts during the Holocaust years uh, of the uh, late 30s, 1940s, and it spans 40 years. So it covers a lot of territory. But in the end, I hope it's about hope and forgiveness for the worst lies that we tell in our lives. Um, The worst lie uh, or the worst lies that we tell in our lives, um, the little liar is when we meet him a boy who has never told a lie, which really for an 11 year old is pretty extraordinary. So introduce, um, introduce us to Nico um, and, and to how he moves from being a boy who has never told a lie to a man who is haunted by, by the worst lie ever told. He's 11 year old boy living in a city in Greece, a Jewish boy. And uh, when the Nazis invade, they find out that he has never told a lie in his life, and he's known throughout his whole neighborhood there as the most honest child ever. And they decide to use him as a weapon, and they herd all the other Jews into a ghetto area. But they uh, take him and they say, we'll let you go back to your family. You just need to help us for a couple of weeks. Just stand on these railroad tracks every day, and people are going to be getting on trains, and they're going to be confused. So you just help them. Tell them that they're going to good jobs and good homes and everything's going to be fine and they'll feel better. And then after that, you can go back to your family. So because he's never told a lie in his life and he's a trusting child, he does this thinking he's telling the truth. And only on the final day of the trains, when he sees his own family being pushed into a boxcar along with the little girl that he loves, uh, does he realize that, that these trains are actually going to concentration camps and to Auschwitz and that inadvertently, the first lie of his life has become the worst lie that he'll ever tell. And the Nazi who tricked him doesn't let him get on the train. And so all of his family and community and everybody is shipped away and he's left behind. And this, the Little Liar book follows what happens to him from that point to him, to his the little girl who he loves, who gets sent away, to his brother who gets sent to the concentration camp and the Nazi who tricked him. The effect of that one lie on all four of them for 40 years and through it shows the the price that we pay for lying and the precious value of the truth. Um, Mitch, um, thank you for mentioning in there Fanny and Sebastian. Um, I the character of Fanny uh, maybe is my favorite one, which is which mm-hmm. 
you know, because Truth speaks in here, I should say that Truth is my favorite character in this book. Um, can you talk about Truth being the narrator? Um, yeah. I, I when you when you start off and and one of the opening sentences is Truth is the shadow we cannot outrun. Um, right. Talk talk about Truth and how you gave voice to Truth as the narrator. Well, I knew it was going to be a story, a parable about truth and lying. And during that period of time, truth was abused maybe more than any other time in history. I mean, the Nazis rose up because of lies. Hitler rose up because of lying to his own people and telling them that the Jews and the Catholics and the homosexuals and the the gypsies, they were the problem. And if we just got rid of them, then we'll be successful. And the lies permeated. You know, he lied about what the concentration camps were. He told the world they were just labor camps. Nobody was ever being killed in them. And of course, people were being slaughtered left and right. And so I thought when I'm going to tell a story about this time, who was going to narrate it? Was it going to be the little boy? Was it just going to be a third person? And then at one point I said, well, what if truth itself narrates the whole story and talks about how, look at how you've abused me. You know, why do you humans do this? I'm a virtue, you know, and, and talks about being a virtue and talks about how we as human beings are constantly failing to live up to that virtue. And I wrote a page that basically began, this is a story you can trust. You can trust it because I'm the only thing in the world that you can trust. I'm the shadow you can out, can't outrun, the mirror that holds your final reflection. I am truth. And this is a story about a boy who tried to break me. And when I wrote that, I said, hmm, I would I would turn the page if that was the first page of the book. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, I'm going to stick with this. And it turned out to be a really good device. And people who have read The Little Liar have, have all commented to me, as you just did, about, you know, that was a really interesting way to tell the story. And I really got into that character. Truth can be abused. Um, I mean, that's an observation you just made about the, the, the years and then the days leading up to World War II and the reality of the Holocaust. Um, Truth can be abused. Truth is also a virtue that needs witnesses. Um, I think I want to ask you a question about maybe a parallel to observations you might make about the world today. Like, mm-hmm. are there ways that truth is abused or denied today um, that maybe we've closed our eyes to? Yes, I think so entirely. Uh, it's an old expression. Uh, a lie travels around the world before truth gets to put its pants on in the morning, you know? And if you think about social media today, if someone wants to slam someone, make somebody make something up, tell a lie about somebody, spread a lie about anything going on, depending on how many followers they have, they could reach the entire world before the, the, the actual truth gets a chance to deny it. And we also live in a world, especially here in America, where we sort of pick our news channels and, uh, you know, it's either you're a Fox News person or an MSNBC person or CNN person, and you don't listen to the other ones, and you literally get a different view of the world, depending on what you're watching. And so we live in a, in a society where the phrase, my truth, is being celebrated as if everybody gets their own. And you don't get your own. There's one truth, you know, and, and you have to live with the consequences of that truth. But we don't want to. We just want to say, well, my story is more important than yours, and my values, therefore, have to dominate, and, and that's the truth of the world. And so I think we're probably in a period of time where we're, we're, we're beating up the truth almost more than it's ever happened before, and social media has certainly exacerbated that. 
We're talking with Mitch Album, um, his latest book, The Little Liar. You know him from um, Tuesdays with Maury. You know him from The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Um, we have talked with him on prior occasions about some of his other books as well, um, including the book that is maybe most intimate and personal, and that's the story of his daughter adopted from Haiti. Um, I want to I want to talk with you about that in a moment, Mitch, but um, want to continue unpacking the story of the little liar a little bit further. If you're listening right now, um, what's the worst lie you've ever told? Um, and as you hear Mitch talk about the truth being abused or the truth being neglected, and then when we acknowledge that we know truth as a person and we know his name, like how are you processing all of that this morning? What's the worst lie you've ever told? How have you abused or neglected the truth of late? Are you trying to outrun the shadow of truth? We're going to take a deep breath and uh, continue our conversation here in just a moment with Mitch Album, his latest book, The Little Liar. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for the verse of the day email at myfaithradio.com. We're talking with Mitch Album, his new book, The Little Liar. Uh, Mitch, I don't mind uh, telling you, it, it, it was hard to read. Um, I mean, eventually it's, you know, eventually it's not. But it is. this is a hard book to read. Um, I think it's the first time that you have written a story set in the Holocaust. Um, your family is Jewish. You take us into awful, terrible, deep darkness in this story, um, which means that in order to write it, you had to go there yourself. Can you, can you talk about the necessity of, as people of light, having to go to dark places in order to shine? Yeah, well, I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of older Jewish people who used to wear long sleeves in the summertime. And I remember asking my mother as a little boy, why are they wearing that? They're it's so hot outside. And she said, well, they have numbers tattooed on their arms and they don't want people to see. And that was my first exposure to what had happened to people during that time. And you can't look away from it, unfortunately, uh, because if you do, it's easy to deny it. And we live in a time, Carmen, where a study just came out that one in five young Americans believe the Holocaust is a myth. Uh, And another 30% can't say one way or the other if it was a myth. So you're talking about literally half of the young population not able to say the Holocaust actually took place. The murder of six million Jews, millions of other Catholics and Christians and and priests and pastors and gypsies, whatever. It didn't happen. Um, So unfortunately, sometimes you have to look at something that's dark in order to see the light. But, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, there are some stuff in the early pages that's challenging to read. But if you read it all the way through... You see, it's not a book about darkness. It's a book about forgiveness and hope. And uh, I always say that all of my books since Tuesdays with Maury always contain some slice of Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, I, I kind of can't help it. And one of the things that Maury and I talked about as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease uh, was forgiveness and how you need to forgive everybody, everything uh, before you die. And, you know, you can't take those things to your grave. And Nico, the little boy and the little liar, although he told this terrible lie and then he loses the ability to speak the truth, it won't come out of his mouth anymore. And he actually becomes a pathological liar. 
changes his name, his identity, his passports hundreds of different times. But all the while, he's trying to be forgiven all the while. And and meanwhile, Fanny, the little girl who always loved him, who believes that he, he didn't mean to do what he did, she spends her whole life trying to find him with all these new identities that he's created so that she can forgive him. Because the power to forgive and the need to forgive is as strong as the need to be forgiven. You know, we forget that. We think, oh, when it comes to forgiveness, it's just the person who needs forgiveness. No, it's also the person who needs to do the forgiving, because if you don't, it sits inside you for a long time. So the book ultimately is about forgiveness and hope, and it, it is uplifting at the end. I don't think I'm capable of writing a book that isn't hopeful. So I <laughs> hope that people can struggle through the early pages, but, you know, want to get through the end to, to see the the, uh, the inspiring end, which is what we have to do. We have to believe that there's light in the end of the dark. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to I want to talk with you um, about your ongoing um, work. I'm going to call it that. I think it's actually your love. Um, what what you and your wife are doing in Haiti um, and here in the United States um, with children who are homeless. But I'd like to focus on Haiti for just a moment because we often only hear very dark um, news uh, out of Haiti. And we recognize that the darkness that people are living in um, leads to all kinds of desperation. So could you give us a little bit of a window into the Haiti that you see? Because I think you see a different Haiti than the rest of us see. Yeah, I see it through the eyes of children. Uh, I've been operating an orphanage there since 2010, uh, January, right after the earthquake. And I went down there and, and, and took over an orphanage that had been uh, kind of decimated. And I'm there every month, and my wife as well. And uh, we have brought through over 100 children, uh, and there's we never adopt them out. So when they come to us, they just stay, and they have a loving home. And it's amazing. These are kids who come from, some of them were left under trees to die, you know, out in the woods. Some were abandoned in mud holes. Some were dropped off at malnutrition clinics, and no one ever came back for, for them for two years. And yet we bring them into our, our orphanage there, and their love and food and faith is an incredible triple play, you know, and, and these kids thrive and they're joyous and they're faithful and they're grateful and all of their possessions fit into a single 12 inch by 12 inch cubby. And yet you would never know it. And, and they go through our school, they, they go four hours in English and four hours in French every day. And so far, everyone who has come out has earned a college scholarship. We have a uh, more than a dozen of them here in America who are on college scholarships. One of them is in medical school right now. And when they're finished, they go back to the orphanage uh, and work there for two years in whatever field they ultimately studied so they can give back to the place where they came from. And then they go off into Haiti to hopefully make it a a better place. And unfortunately, uh, Haiti is overrun with gangs now, and it's extremely dangerous. And the Biden program, which was, I'm sure, well-intended, uh, which allows a kind of a speedy uh, exit from Haiti is robbing Haiti of all of its talented young people or anyone who's got any kind of education or any chance. The first thing they do is grab at this program and they jump to America, leaving behind only the poorest people. So uh, its future doesn't look very good either. But our kids are are determined to return to Haiti and make Haiti a good country and 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 not you know bring their talents to America. So I get to see joy and, and love in the eyes of the kids, and, and I've experienced it personally firsthand in our home, and, and every time we go there, uh, every month we're there for a week. So, yeah, there there are two sides to Haiti. 
I know you don't need me to tell you this, but um, you are changing the world. Well, you, the you kids are, cha- are changing you, the world. I, I'm yeah. just facilitating that they can change I know. the world. And that's I know. But thank you. Thank you for allowing, um, thank you to you and your wife for allowing um, allowing yourselves to be used in a in a way that's positively transforming the world. Um, I like that they call you Mr. Mitch. Um, mm. I don't know if, you know, I suspect that on some level they know that you have another life that you live somewhere else when you are not with them. But my guess is that um, they don't care that, you know, you're... <laughs> That, yeah, you're this fam- really, that you're this famous person no that's idea. written. Yeah, they don't, right? Yeah, they have no idea. They they read my books uh, because they, you know, we don't have I saw TV, their reviews. we don't have internet. I saw- the, yeah, yeah, they give re- they give me reviews actually, <laughs> and uh, but uh, to you know, to them, like someone who writes a book is just someone who writes a book. They sometimes when they come up here to college, and um, you know, here in Michigan in particular, people sort of know me. You know, I've been on TV a lot. <laughs> they recognize, and when people just come up at a restaurant or something. You know, ask me, say hi, or want a, something signed, or and they go, Mister Mitch, how those people know you? And I just mm-hmm. say, ah, oh, you know, everybody knows me around here, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. they don't need to know any of that stuff. Uh, what's What's important is that they know that I love them, and that's what I try to get across to them. And as long as they know that, we're good. It's evident. Um, it's evident in the videos um, that are posted, uh, particularly of their reviews of this book. But I just think that the the videos in general of uh, of your work there, it is evident that they know you love them. And uh, if, if in this month of February, our lives could be marked by knowing we are loved and then being conduits of love into the lives of others, recognizing that it's the primary need that every person has, um, this would, you know, this would be a good month, right? It's be a yep. good month in the world. 100%. So Mitch, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the gift of your ongoing writing um, blessings on whatever project you're working on now. Um, And thank you for the conversation today about The Little Liar. Carmen, it's always a pleasure to speak to you and your audience. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. That's mutual. That's Mitch Album. Uh, He's not hard to find. Mitch Album, A-L-B-O-M, if you're not familiar with the spelling of his name, MitchAlbum.com. Today we were talking about The Little Liar, but um, Mitch has a number of books that if you have not read them in the past, they they are life transforming, and you should start. Um, you should start where it all began. You should start with Tuesdays with Maury. That would be my recommendation, and then you can work your way through the uh, Mitch Album library of writings. But um, I, I highly commend uh, his books to you. They are all redemptive. Each one of them pulls a thread from Tuesdays with Maury. Um, some of the threads are more obvious than others, but the tapestry that he's weaving over time for us is really, really extraordinary. All right, we are um, we are about out of time today, and it is Monday, and I have promised to you over the course of time that we would do a, um, oh, it's Tuesday. Paul tells me it's Tuesday, which means that on Monday, I completely missed the opportunity to do a Monday mailbag. So it's Tuesday. I don't know. What happened to Monday? Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, <clears throat> there you go. That's a little window into Carmen's life right there. Um, the Monday mailbag. I missed it yesterday, and, and today, apparently, it's Tuesday. So um, let us taste and see today that the Lord is good. I like to call Tuesday Tasty Tuesday. So how could you taste and see that the Lord is good today? And how could how could you help others see Jesus in the breaking of the bread? So as you sit down at any kind of table fellowship today, even if it's just all by yourself, I want you to consider how Christ is made known in the breaking of the bread. 
And then how might you invite others to a table where you could break bread with them and just ask that question? How is Christ made known to you in the breaking of the bread? And then how would Christ be made known to others as you break bread with someone else? Taste and see that the Lord is good because he is good and he is beautiful and he is true. I hope you hear the voice of truth today as the narration of your life. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.